Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. And we're into extra time! and welcome to RNZ Extra Time. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. This week we take a look at where things stand with America's Cup racing after a very public spat between the challenger of record and America's Cup organisers. Luna Rossa lead the series 4-0 over Team UK and need just three more wins to get through to the America's Cup racing against Team New Zealand. But will the temporary halt to racing as a result of COVID-19 level changes prove to be a godsend for Team UK? And cricket comes back into focus with the White Ferns hosting England in 3-1 dayers and 3-T20s starting next week, while the Black Caps take on Australia in 5-T20s. The Prada Cup final will resume this weekend after a very public throwdown between the challenger of record and America's Cup organisers, America's Cup events. Effectively, Ace wanted to wait until Alert Level 1 in Auckland so fans could watch in numbers, but Core Luna Rossa, demanded racing continue according to the rules. Ace accused Luna Rossa of being inflexible and self-interested. Luna Rossa says Ace is just playing to the crowd. To discuss this, RNZ sports reporters Felicity Reid and Joe Porter join me, along with sports broadcaster Brian Waddle. Felicity, no doubt this will continue to percolate. You've been following this closely. How did it break down between Ace and the challenges of record? comes down to a lot of self-interest and a bit of a history of a rocky relationship between the two parties, which made them less inclined to compromise when they got around the negotiating table. Uh, as you say, Luna Rossa were adamant that the rules about the racing schedule that were agreed to a year ago were followed. Taking the emotion out of it, the Italians were pointing out that under different circumstances, such as not enough wind for racing or a natural disaster, the racing calendar wouldn't actually change. So under Alert Level 3, they were able to train on the water, so they couldn't really understand why they then wouldn't be able to say race. Has there been any sailing happening anywhere else in the world during similar circumstances? There has, and I think that's played a little bit of a part in the breakdown in the relationship as well. In Europe, in, say, Portugal at the moment, they're in lockdown, but they've actually got an international sailing regatta happening. Although there aren't any New Zealand or Australian sailors there, that is still taking place. So I think Luna Rossa coming from that part of the world and watching that type of thing happen, for them this is quite normal to be competing during a pandemic. So that maybe differs with the views of, say, the New Zealand public and the organisers here. Brian, Luna and Rossa have a point, don't, don't they? I mean, at the 2013 America's Cup, when Team New Zealand pushed out to a 4-0 advantage, Oracle skipper Jimmy Spittle played the one postponement card they had for the day's second race. It was a move that gave them 48 hours to regroup. The rest is history. We know what happened there. Um, they've got every right to want this racing to continue. 
Yeah, if it comes within the rules that have been framed for the competition, the problem to me is that they seem to want to change the rules or something different happens and you have a spat over rules rather than getting the job done on the water. I think they have some justification um, and I suppose that it plays into the hands of the UK syndicate to have a break because they're in desperate trouble. And uh, it's it's more a political game, I think, than a sporting game, isn't it? The way they... They want to uh, use the rules, change the rules, and um, get over it that way. And that's, I suppose, what makes it uh, interesting for a lot of us who are not quite that um, wound up in, in yachting, but we learn a lot. About the law. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, if you're in the box seat like Luna Rossa, and, and it applies to any sport really, you, you just want to get on with it, right? Yeah, 4 0 up in a best of 13 series. So three more wins, like you mentioned, needed to go through to the America's Cup proper against Team New Zealand. You want to maintain that momentum. You don't want to give Team UK any chance to write or fix their problems or address the, the issues that they have on their boat that are keeping them from really challenging Luna Rossa at this point. We know that uh, at lower wind speed, Luna Rossa are better. They just want to get back out in the water and put as many wins under their belt over Team UK as they can before any of this wind speed picks up and Team UK might come back into it. It gives Team UK a bit of a chance to, like we say, address some of their issues and perhaps come up with some cunning plans. We've seen how that can work in the America's Cup before with teams taking a break and coming back to be looking like a totally different outfit in terms of their performance. Um, Luna Rossi, yeah, desperate to get back onto the water. And I think even, like Felicity mentioned, within the rules they were able to train at Level 3. And I think there was even sort of um, you know, measures within the rules to have racing at Level 3 lockdown as, and, and definitely at Level 2. So it is within the rules to continue racing at Level 2. So Luna Rossi was saying, well, it's within the rules. We're up 4-0. It's kind of our call to make. We want to get going. Felicity, does it really matter that the fans can't get into the village this weekend? I don't think so. Under Alert Level 2, the public screenings won't go ahead and on race day there's like a docking out event where fans can watch the teams leave the boat sheds. This is quite popular. Um, the media centre is right next to Luna Ross's base and I've watched screeds of people run past to try and get a good spot to watch the team as it's coming back. But this is one of those sports where it's actually better to watch it on TV. Um, I know some really experienced sailors who are out on the water in a boat watching the action live but they are bringing up a live feed as well to watch mm. the graphics because those things you can't really pick up by eye even if you are watching the boats right in front of you some of those little finer details are actually easier to pick up from the television or from graphics and there are lots of free ways to do that so I don't really think that fans are going to be missing out. So what's Ace's major reason for wanting to delay it until level one is what purely or solely so that they can have as many people as they want down at the village watching events um, and I guess for the political reason of being seen to be responsible in the midst of a pandemic when they can't exactly record how many people are coming down to those places under level two. That's right. And like on race day, you see people even away from the village, say up on North Head on the North Shore, watching some of that racing down on those race courses and what's been labelled the stadium race courses. So from there, watching that, that's a lot of people who head up there. So again, it's probably trying to be responsible, like you say, not wanting to encourage large gatherings of over 100 people, right? So Again, it's in these public spaces where they don't have a lot of control, not quite like a stadium where you can stand at the gate and sort of mm -hmm. know how many people are heading in. Does the delay give Team UK a chance to catch up or do you think they're you know, already dead and buried? I don't know what they've been able to do over the last three days. Maybe we've all been talking about the schedule and they've been busy working away and have this massive turnaround, but I don't really see that happening. Um, the boats are quite similar in terms of racing, but it's 
surprising that Team UK have been outsailed over the mm. last, fir- well, the first two races. They, well, first two race days even were really outsailed, which most people would say Serbian Ainsley is the skipper of Team UK. Mm. He's the better sailor in a, a lot of people's opinion compared to Jimmy Spittle and Francesco Bruni on Luna Rossa. But he really has been outthought and they've made some mistakes in the starting box, which isn't a boat thing. It's a sailing thing. Mm. It's a people thing. <laughs> it's a can they have turned that around? Are they still hungry for it or are they just going to get to a point where it's too beyond them? Brian, whenever the America's Cup rolls around, there's always a lot of debate around, you know, do people care about it? Um, <laughs> does the America's Cup resonate with you or your circle of friends? What's your level of interest? We talk about it, and I have uh, a number of friends who are genuine, passionate yachting people. Uh, one of them has, uh, you know, at on a Friday afternoon up at his home, he's had friends up watching the um, the racing. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's a a sport of passing interest as such. But the the most interesting thing from my point of view is that here we're talking about the UK boat, Mm. uh, just about dead in the water, yet they were going to be the big challenges in the first place. Uh, American Magic and Luna Rossa were out the back door. The The early form was shown by mm. uh, Ben Ainsley's uh, crew. And now it's, um, well, America's gone, and, and, and Luna Rossa, Jimmy Spittle, and it just shows you the names that come to the fore, isn't it, yes. uh, in these yachtsmen. The Black Caps all-rounder Jimmy Neesham is confident the New Zealanders will be able to carry their recent test cricket form into the five-match T20 series against Australia starting on Monday in Christchurch. He says having just finished the domestic T20 Super Smash tournament, the Black Caps are in a prime position to claim a rare series win over their trans-Tasman rivals. Neesham says the players won't have any trouble getting back into the groove for the short form of the game. No, not hard to adjust at all. I think you know, guys are used to coming in and out of different teams around the world, and you know, coming in and out of the squad. And and it's not like we haven't been playing cricket either. We've obviously had the Super Smash going most of the time. Um, guys have had a chance to, to rest and recuperate, and, and sort of pick and choose which games they want to be involved in. And um, everyone's physically really ready to go, and, and hopefully we'll hit the ground running at the start of the series. The White Ferns are about to take on England in three one days and three T20s, starting with the first ODI in Christchurch on Tuesday. And wicket keeper Katie Martin can't wait to get stuck into some of the world's best players. England are the current one day world champions, and Martin says the tourists will give the White Ferns a gauge of where they're at as they build towards next year's World Cup in New Zealand. They're the world champions, and we know that they're going to come out hard against us. And yeah, we're expecting a pretty competitive, competitive series. We haven't beaten them for a wee while, um, and our one-day form probably hasn't been as good as we'd like. So it's a really good opportunity playing at home, leading into the 2022 World Cup, to be able to play against such a quality team in England. Brian, first, we can't not not mention Kyle Jamieson before we continue the discussion. Bought for nearly three million in the Indian Premier League cricket auction overnight. There's a bidding war for the 26-year-old services, with Royal Challengers Bangalore eventually paying 2.86 million, second highest amount paid for a player at this year's auction. No surprises, he was in such high demand. 
No surprises really, and uh, I guess no surprises that it was Royal Challengers Bangalore. <laughs> I, I guess the fact that Mike Hessen mm-hmm. is uh, their cricket director probably helped in that, but it would have been an interesting bidding war. The fact, of course, is that it's the highest ever paid for a New Zealander, and you put that alongside Brendan McCullum. Brendan who now? Mm-hmm. He's one of the leaders of one of the teams over there, but McCullum was one of the uh, players that was spent big for right in the early stages of mm-hmm. the IPA. And now Kyle Jamison, who gets there on potential. Yes. He doesn't have the uh, the form to back him in this form of the game, but a huge potential. And uh, quite clearly, Mike Hessen has seen that. Everybody else has seen yes. it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had three or four of those franchises mm. going after him. Brilliant for him and brilliant for the game. Mm, exciting. Brian, looking ahead to next week's uh, T20 series against Australia, uh, Cole Jamieson will be one of the players to watch. Anyone else you're looking forward to seeing from the Black Caps' point of view? Well, I think some of the key players, of course, are going to be the batsmen. Batting is the form of the game, and uh, the the likes of Martin Guptill come to mind because of all the players that have been chosen for this series of games, he's the one with the, the least performances on Mm. board. He's only Mm. played four games of domestic cricket. He's had injury problems. He's been picked ahead of the star performer in the local competition in Finn Allen, and uh, he's going to have to uh, prove himself. Uh, We're sadly not going to see probably the best-performed New Zealand one-day player uh, over the last four years in Colin Munro, but there are players there that have made a name for themselves. Glenn Phillips, Tim Seifert Mm. is, Mm. and he's been picked in the IP yeah, too, it's been I think. Attained as well, and yeah. you know, they're the sorts of players we're going to see. It is a batting game, yeah. and it'll be nice to see uh, the bowlers in action. They don't like it too much because there are so many batsmen, and it's, uh, it's basically gauged for <laughs> the batsmen to enjoy. But uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing some of these young batsmen Chapman, uh, uh, Seifert, and, uh, and Phillips, etc. And we know. T20 can be a little bit of a lottery at times, a bit of a a, a coin toss with the result as far as teams are concerned. You get one guy away for a flyer and that's you're halfway there. But what would it mean to beat Australia in a series here? The Australia is that does beating Australia in any cricket series does that hold particular um, fascination or for for New Zealand fans just beating Australia at all in cricket? Of course it does, and and in um, uh, our our conditions, it would be uh, a, a significant victory for New Zealand because I think it would justify what New Zealand has been doing in terms yes. of the development of its players in all forms of the game, Test match, ODI, and in the uh, the T20 competition. And Australia have sent a side that is experimental to a yeah. certain extent. Yeah. Uh, they haven't got their star players, but this is all planning for the world T20s, and so uh, these players have got to uh, take the opportunity to really put their best foot forward because you're not going to get a better opportunity than playing against Australia mm. and for the likes of as we mentioned um, uh, Phillips and uh, Seifert and uh, Chapman is and, Conway, and Conway is the name that I probably forgot before uh, I mean he he is a, a class player mm. and he will provide um, a, a point of difference I suppose from some of these uh, hard hitting New Zealand players but You don't take this Australian side too lightly. They've brought players who have been well-performed in the Big Bash League in Australia, and that is their reward, getting selection here. And so they will not be easy. Are you disappointed, though, hosting Australia, but no one day is no test cricket? 
Yeah, very much so. Um, the, the fact is we've had four test matches yeah. this summer, and that's mm. it. Mm. And we have to wait now until we get to um, June to play England in two test matches. Uh, but I suppose it's understandable. It is preparation time for the T20 World Championships. Yeah. But the game, it would be nice to have the... ODIs in particular, if Australia are coming out, I think they're spending more time in quarantine and isolation (laughs) than they are in actually playing the game. So if they're here for this period of time, we Mm. might as well have some Mm. more games as well. Um, And that's a disappointment. Especially considering what's going on around the world with with sport. You know, the Australians having to cancel their tour to South Africa, meaning, like you say, they still didn't want to bring their top stars, though, decided to rest them and not bring them a respect for that decision. So it would have been great to have a couple more games against a strong Aussie lineup over here when, of course, there's not a lot of cricket being able to be played by them at the moment anyway. Well those Australians coming out of that uh, tour of South Africa that's mm. another can of worms that's been opened yeah. up because South Africa wants some money back for that and I think they're quite justified having made all the plans yes. and Australia have cancelled uh, the, that tour so uh, you know that's going to create a few issues but not on this occasion the, <laughs> the focus is on T20 cricket and our T20 players. That's right. And the White Ferns, uh, Felicity, they've got a reasonably settled squad for the series, but there are a couple of returnees. Susie Bates is the big name that we're missing as she uh, rehabs that shoulder injury of hers. But you're right, there are a couple of returnees. Uh, Kate Ibrahim from Canterbury and Wellington's Tasman Newton are both back for the T20 series. Kate was last playing international cricket in 2018. Um, She has a new mum, though. She had her daughter and took last season off, but she's returned and has been quite impressive, racking up a lot of runs for the magicians. And Tamsin was last playing for New Zealand in 2017. So, again, these are two people that are coming back as an opportunity and I guess a good display of that if you do keep performing well at domestic cricket, that there are still opportunities for you. And at the other end of that scale, for the ODIs, we've got an Auckland teenager, Fran Jonas, and Northern Districts' Brooke Halliday, both debutants into the squad. Brian, in recent years we've seen the White Ferns struggle when they come up against big guns likes of England, Australia, India, yet we have some of the best players in the world. Sophie Devine, Susie, Susie Bates, albeit injured right now, Amelia Kerr, Amy Satterthwaite. Why can't we seem to get any headway against those teams? I guess the uh, lack of consistent competition to a certain extent uh, has been one of the problems. These players are now also playing in the various leagues in England and in Australia and uh, they're performing consistently in those competitions. The thing that I was most impressed about in terms of the um, T20 competition here was the consistent performances of the top players, the Amy Satterthwaite's, uh, Sophie Devines, Katie Martin, uh, and so on. And you expect that from those players. And if they're starting to do that, then we can see a consistent performance coming up. The other thing, too, was that the, um, the next level of player has just played a couple of games against this English side. Mm. They lost one by 20 runs. They won the second one. They were both high-scoring fixtures, which is encouraging that they may have got to a situation that they can perform more consistently. I think the other thing, too, is... um, They've probably taken um, a closer look at the coaching of the side. Bob Carter has been the coach after the problems that they had um, prior to his appointment. Mm. And uh, they've got the likes of Matthew Bell, former New Zealand player, Jacob Oram working with them. They've got the facilities to uh, to to match the best in the world. And that's what we want to be able to see. And, and, and you make a fair point. Uh, it's now a time for them to stand up and deliver.
Felicity, you can really see the gap between the, the star players who do play uh, cricket and the women's BBL and the rest of the bunch. Perhaps we need to have more of our um, white fans playing in the BBL or our domestic competition needs to be stronger? There's a little bit of debate around that, isn't there? Because the women don't often get a lot of opportunities to play. So now we are seeing more of them go into, say, the BBL or the 100 over in um, England as well. It's these opportunities for them. Um, I know of an Auckland Hearts player, Lauren Down, who went across to England it must have been a couple of seasons ago, and she played for a men's club side over there just because she wanted the opportunity to work on her game. So some of these people who are at that next level aren't necessarily getting the opportunities, but maybe as more of these women's leagues sort of come about and New Zealand are still considered very good players, right? So they do want to be picked up similarly by these overseas teams to for those opportunities. Joe, you keen to get a bit of a cricket fix before the <laughs> Super Rugby kicks in? Isn't it crazy we have this overlap? It's too soon, too soon for Super yeah, Rugby. I know I'm going to have to work on a Super Rugby preview package next week. It seems like it's come around all too quickly, that's for sure. And we haven't had enough cricket because it's. I mean, the Test series were fantastic, but they were over so quickly. Two Tests and a couple of the games finishing inside the five days. Um, it's been great though, and I, I feel like the Black Caps have really captured, um, you know, the public sporting public. New Zealand's imagination even more so than, than they often do this summer after of course the World Cup in England and all the drama that was involved in that following through. Uh, the Test team playing that wonderful brand of cricket where they respect the opposition, they respect each other, they really lead by example setting a, a, a great example for younger kids coming through the game that you don't have to be a nasty sledger or someone who attacks the psychology of another team to be a standard international team. Um, and of course reaching the inaugural World Test Championship final at Lords, fantastic news, big buzz around that the IPL could play a role in that. We might not get some of our best players in that game because of the big bucks waved around there, but that's another story. But, yeah, I think the cricket has been fantastic this summer. And, look, um, although they're T20s and it's the format of the game that I find least appealing, uh, simply because it does seem to be a bit more fickle in the nature of the result, a five-match series against Australia... The teams will, it'll be a heated series. They'll both want to win. They'll both be determined. We've got the World Cup next year, the two T20 World Cups coming up. So I think it'll be a great series, and I'm really looking forward to it. And if we can knock the Aussies over here, it'll be fantastic. So, yeah, very much looking forward to next week's series. And the White Ferns playing the one days against England. Like Brian's mentioned, some really promising signs with those New Zealand 11 games against the English. Um, it gives them a chance to get used to some of these bowlers. They don't get to play these teams that often, like Brian mentioned. So fantastic that they get the exposure to the English attack in New Zealand conditions. Again, heading towards the World Cup here next year. So a great week, a week or so of cricket coming up. And, yeah, Super Rugby, in my mind, can just sit on the back burner for now. Brian, just quickly, the Test Championship format, are you a fan? Yes, I am, very much so. Uh, The more emphasis that we can give to Test cricket, the better it will be. What I'm finding difficult to accept now is that we have New Zealand playing two Test matches against England before that final, and yet some of the players might not be available because of their IPL Mm -hmm. commitments. Now, I know what I would do if I was offered 2.6 million. I (laughs) would take that. Uh, In the end result, there is a way of solving that, and that is getting the program sorted out so that there are no conflicts. I don't want to see a New Zealand team going playing in test match series in England without their best players because they're playing in the IPL final. Um, so that is what has to be sorted out, not um, the fact of um, you know the, the the IPL being the dominant uh, 
part of the cricket game. That 2.86 million is incredible. I think what was Trent Bolt and Corey Anderson both went close to a million. They were about the highest. I mean, it's a phenomenal figure. Fourth highest purchase in the IPL history of all time. Second this year behind uh, the South African all-rounder Morris, who picked up $3.1 million. He's the most expensive player in IPL history. And of course, Jamison coming in just behind that in this year's auction in fourth overall. So monstrous ahead of Ben Stokes. Um, he's overtaking guys like uh, he's along the likes of Yuvraj Singh. So it, it's a massive amount of money for a guy that's never been there and done that before. And boy, oh boy, he would have woken up. Yeah. He would have woken up a very, very happy man, an instant multimillionaire. That brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Brian Waddle, Felicity Reid and Joe Porter. Extra Time is available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would. That helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. Haerera. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.